Welcome to the Premium Property Podcast. Created by two beginners, it is the perfect listen for those of you who are just finding your feet in the property industry. We will ask questions that other beginners, just like us, have been waiting to hear, and we will be learning along with you. I'm Harley. And I'm Guy. And this is the Premium Property Podcast. On this week's episode, we speak with Daniel Bell, and she's a professional property investor and sourcer. We touch on absolutely everything to do with sourcing, from ringing agents to finding deals. This is a great episode if you're in the sourcing industry. We hope you do enjoy. Hi, Danielle. Welcome to the Premium Property Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on today. How are you? Thank you so much, Charlie. Absolutely. Listen, I've been talking to you and, and I know who Guy is for the last while. Um, massively excited to be on here because you guys have quite literally taken the bull by the horns in terms of your, your property journey over the last number of months. So I am massively excited to be interviewed today for the Premium Property Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, we're glad to have you on as well. Um, yeah, like you said, we've been sort of speaking over the last few months um yeah and it's been scheduled for a while so yeah it's good to finally um get you on and sort of speak to you so yeah yeah awesome um yeah so for those of you who for for those who don't know who you are or what you do um could you tell us a bit about yourself and your background Absolutely, I would love to. So, um, you will you will gather by my background and my baseball cap. Now, I can caveat that I'm wearing a baseball cap because I've got blonde hair and it's not been kind. Lockdown has not been kind to anybody with blonde hair, right? So there's a reason why I'm wearing a baseball cap. It does, however, happen to be emblazoned with my hungry mummy logo. Um, so in a nutshell, um, Harley, I am a professional property investor, property sourcing specialist, and all-round sort of entrepreneur within the property sphere. Um, I was not always um, all that way inclined. So two years ago, I took my first steps into property. But prior to that, I was a financial analyst for the New York Stock Exchange. Um, So corporate life, corporate environment, traveled back and forth between um, London, Amsterdam, and New York. Now, my beautiful Irish accent would suggest that I am based in Ireland. Um, so that, that travel just was not conducive with family life for me. Um, so cutting a long story very short, and I, this is a long story, very, very short. Um, I made the jump into educating myself in property in uh, 2018. I believe it was September 2018. Started off with no capital threw myself into property sourcing because that was the gateway into property um, and the rest is history and um, so I've gone on over the last two years to source secure multiple units um, joint venture finance joint venture projects I have a service accommodation business I have several rent to rent properties I co-host a property network an event now um, and I am on the very cusp of launching um, a huge online members club and um, specific to property sourcing. Um, so yeah, to say that the last two years have been a roller coaster, they have been, um, but I am loving life at the moment. So that's me in a nutshell. Yeah, awesome. It seems like you have really sort of smashed it in the the two years that you have been in property. So um, yeah, 
Um, yeah, so obviously the, you mentioned that you worked for the New York Stock Exchange. Yeah. So um, tell us a bit about the environment and sort of what that was like working for that, because I can imagine it would be pretty fast paced. It was high pressured. Um, it was long hours. It was um, commuting constantly. It was the alarm going off at 3.30 a.m. every single Monday morning. Um, and that was me up. I live in Belfast. Um, and the commute started from then. Um, you know, so really by the time I got to, say, the office in London um, at 9.30, I had done planes, trains, automobiles, subways, tubes, elbowed people out of the way, headbutted a few people along the way. You know, it was crazy. Um, and then on top of that, I had the Amsterdam and, and New York travel, which all sounds very, very glamorous. Um, but I can assure you it's not when you've done it for the millionth time and it's not when you're doing it on your own. Um, it was a very high pressure environment and I, I'm a bit of a home bird. Um, I don't particularly like spending long periods of time away. Um, yeah, and I was looking to become a mum, so it was never going to work for me. Uh, did I enjoy the experiences? 100%. Um, the New York Stock Exchange is, is probably one of the most prestigious financial institutions to work for in the world. Um, and I'm incredibly grateful of that opportunity. Um, it looked really good on my CV. Um, I met and made some lifelong friends, um, but was it for me? No, it was too high pressured. It was a rat race and I was working hard every single day to put money in somebody else's pocket it didn't make sense to me it did not make sense to me i was busting my ass um you know ridiculously long hours to to make somebody else wealthy um and something just clicked on me it was time for a change so when i had my son um yeah life changed dramatically for me for the better of course but yeah so what was the New York Stock Exchange my favourite job in the world? No, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think like working in the financial markets is it's made out to be like this really great career and a career yeah. that everyone wants. But I think, like you said, it is very high pressured, and um, a lot of people that work there, you hear that they're not actually happy doing what they're no. doing. So yeah, I think um, it's great that you've obviously found something you enjoy doing now. Well, that's it. And I think a lot of people, you see, you have to weigh it up in, in that Harley. It, it's, it's a well-paid job. Um, and that's probably why it was so hard for me to walk away from um, because it, it was a, a well-compensated job, but I wasn't getting the time to enjoy the, the fruits of the, the benefits. Um, because the time you got home on a Friday night, you know, you were taking that Friday and Saturday to recover, recoup, and um, fit your entire life into 48 hours. Sunday evening rolls around again, you know, you're packing the suitcase again and you're away at 3.30 in the morning on Monday. Um, so for me, it wasn't living a life. Um, I was married. I mean, if you're a young singleton um, and you enjoy the, the glamour, inverted commas, of, you know, plane hopping, maybe do it for a few years, you know, build up a, a nice little nest egg but long-term longevity sustainability absolutely not yeah definitely um yeah so um did you like take any lessons from your career in the um, new york stock exchange and are you still applying those lessons today 
lessons that I took from the New York Stock Exchange, um, I think maybe the most important one was discipline. Um, and patience was a good one. Um, obviously, working within the stock exchange environment and the financial forex markets and things like that, I mean, you have to be very aware that the, the game is a long-term game. Um, and I think that's where a lot of people fall, fall short and that they're looking for instant gratification. Um, they're looking for results right now, today. There are property strategies that allow you to see um, you know, results rather instantly. You know, you've got your rent-to-rent -rent style strategies or your, your multi-lets, which is fine. Um, but if you're in property to create any form of wealth, you have to go into it with the longer term vision. And it's the same can be said for the stock exchange and for the stock markets. Um, although much more volatile, um, it, you have to enter it with a long term mindset. So what lessons did I take from that? That's probably the number one is that go into it with the long game in mind um, and have persistence. So those are definitely two of the traits that I've taken from my time at the stock exchange for sure. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, that's so key because especially nowadays, there's so many like get rich quick schemes in property yes. and like people get drawn in by that thinking they can make sell like a deal a week after a month of doing it. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's a really um, key point that you've highlighted there. Definitely. I'm, I'm so happy Harley, that you've actually said that because it lets me see, and I've been having a lot of conversations with a lot of people over the last four months. And it's, it's that exact issue that I've been trying to sort. And it's the very, what you've just said is the very reason why I have created property sourcing made simple because people are so jaded and so um, confused and they, they're sold this dream that they think property is the get rich or, you know, I can, I can earn five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten grand a month in one month in property sourcing. It's a load of balls, quite frankly. Um, excuse my language, but that's, that's fact. Um, so I've really, over the last four months, made it my mission to say, listen, is it achievable? 100%. Is it possible? Yes, I'm living proof of it. And as are many tens of other successful property investors in the UK. Is it get rich quick? Hell no. Okay, so this is a no bullshit approach. This is no fluff, no dream selling, no upsell. You know, so I'm really, really glad that you've touched on that. Um, because when people are listening back to this, they will actually maybe finally realize that, yeah, it's achievable, but my God, it's not, it's not like finding a leprechaun and, and you're just rich for life. It's just, it doesn't work like that, you know, <laughs> leprechaun. Moving on to the uh, more property side of things then. Obviously you said when you had your job in the um, uh, New York exchange that obviously it was very like busy, but what, what was it that made you actually get into property rather than any other industry, if that makes sense? Uh, freedom time choice freedom guy um so while i was earning a good salary in the new york stock exchange i did not have my own time okay so i was bound by somebody else i was bound by planes leaving and departing um i was bound by time zones i was uk time zone i was in um, central europe time zone and then i was in um, the east coast of, of america time zone i, I didn't have to I, I didn't know what days of the week it was most times to be fair um so I chose property after doing some research. It wasn't a knee-jerk decision, um, but property was always in my blood. My family had property 
uh, which they unfortunately lost everything in the crash of 2008. So property was definitely in my blood. Um, did some research and figured out a strategy that would allow me to get, gain back some time. Now, it has to be said, I did not leave my corporate job immediately. Um, I went with the notion of cutting back from a five-day week to a four-day week to a three-day week and so on. Um, and it was a natural progression from there, but I didn't, I didn't jump ship immediately. I really wanted to test the water to see if it was sustainable, um, if what I had in mind could work. And it turned out that it started to work much quicker than I was expecting it to. Um, because I was putting an awful lot of effort into it. Um, so yeah, property, it was the ability to, to kind of make my own timetable and my own schedule. And that's not lie, that's not cut about here. Um, the rewards were much greater than any other thing that I'd looked at. Um, and I think we all want the cash. We all want the, the, the long-term wealth, the lifestyle. Um, and that's why I got into property because I knew it would create me long-term wealth. Yeah, so like, like you're saying then of how you just didn't immediately quit your job, I feel like that's a really smart way of looking at it because awful too many times people would just potentially go to a course and then the next day they'll just drop their job and then they've just lost that source of income. Yeah, so yeah. Like, you're 100% right, Guy. And there's so many of these courses out there who are telling, and I can appreciate that you guys are much younger than me, okay? I could definitely be your granny. But, I mean, the fact is so many um, people coming on the scene, whether they're, in your age bracket or whether they're in mine okay they're being sold this dream of listen do this course it's three days long it's five grand um and at the end of this course within one month you're going to be earning six grand a month that's a load of absolute nonsense okay it's a load of absolute nonsense you have to enter this knowing that if you treat it like a proper business if you treat it like a job you will get those results but if you treat it like a hobby you're going to get hobby results from it, okay? It's not without work ethic. It's not without constant constant commitment and conviction and consistency. So I'm always, um, I'm always advocating these three qualities when you're working in property sourcing, conviction, commitment, and consistency. And they are the three things that will contribute to your success, okay? But if you're half-assed, if you're half-hearted, if you're just expecting the money to come to you, hang up your boots now because it's just not going to happen you have to enter this knowing that this is a business and treat it like that and um, it's the only way to push forward yeah i couldn't agree more because like you're saying if you just treat it like a hobby then you're just going to get mediocre results whereas absolutely seriously then yeah so um obviously with your um job in the uh, new york exchange and everything you said yep. it was like very very busy mm -hmm. so um and then obviously you mentioned you had a, a child and everything, which is good. But when you moved into property, obviously it's not like we were discussing. It's not something you can get into, e into easily. So it does yeah. require a lot of work. So would you say that the work ethic was similar in the way that you was working in your old job to property? But then you could almost do it at home, if that makes sense? Yeah, I mean, the work ethic, I, I was still very disciplined. Um, I was still very motivated. In fact, I was more motivated um, when I was doing it for myself because you know anything that I was gaining or anything that I was earning or the education that I was instilling upon myself was going directly to me I wasn't I mean I was quite resentful if I'm honest when I was working for in the corporate world um, because as you can appreciate when you're working 
for the likes of the New York Stock Exchange, you're dealing with incredibly wealthy people, um, like the uber rich in the world. Um, and I became resentful of these people. Um, I became resentful of the, of the life that I was helping them maintain while kind of sitting at home thinking, oh, I wish I could have that. Um, so the work ethic when I had my son and began property was actually a, a lot more focused because I was dead set on the end goal. And the end goal for me was creating um, my own property portfolio with a view to creating my own long-term wealth. Um, it certainly made it much easier as well that you, know, you can juggle phone calls around childcare, you can schedule um, viewings around play school and so on. When, when you're working in the corporate world, you have to be at your desk at 8.30 and there's no, there's no leeway, um, there's no flexibility. I'm my own boss now, um, and I was my own boss partially then. So I made the rules, I made the timetable. If it suited me, I did it. If it didn't suit me, we didn't do it. Um, so was the work ethic the same? Yes and no. I was probably, well, no probably, I was much more focused um, building my property business than I was ever in my career. Yeah, because I hope, I hope my old boss isn't listening. <laughs> uh, yeah, but um, like you're saying, like obviously the work ethic must be a lot more because when he was in a corporate job, the income was almost like there, almost guaranteed. Whereas when you go to start for yourself, it's like yeah. you have to survive and you have to like really do it in order to get some income. So, when your back's against the wall, guy, that's when you come out fighting. That's yeah. that's 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 a fact. You know, when your back's against the wall, I'm sure you've heard the analogy of burn the boats. So burn the boats effectively means you know there's no way back to the island. Okay, you're out in the middle of the sea. It's sink or swim. Um, and yeah, and that's when your mindset really comes into play. That's when your personal development comes into play. That's when um, you know surrounding yourself with the same circle of ambitious people. You know, I I had a webinar uh, a few nights ago, and we we discussed are you the average of the five people that you hang about with? Hell yes, you are. You absolutely are. Um, we, we had some people on the call who, you know, it sounds cutthroat, but realized that the, that the five people who they spent most time with were actually holding them back from progressing, you know, holding them back from achieving the things that they knew they could achieve. Um, because, you know, when people start to see you getting on a, bit, a little bit in life, when people start to see you moving in bigger circles or, um, creating a little bit of success all of a sudden negativity creeps in all of a sudden jealousy creeps in all of a sudden resentment creeps in cut those people out and move on just move on um, so yeah surrounding yourself with the right people is incredibly important I could talk about that all day actually yeah exactly I think um, it just I think it's more for your mindset, like you said, than anything, because obviously if you're surrounded, surrounding yourself with people that are going out partying yep. every weekend and um, sort of not trying to improve themselves, then even if you're trying to improve yourself subconsciously, it will probably affect you. So um, yeah, I think that's a great point. And if you're obviously surrounding yourself with people who are trying to better themselves, then you'll want yep. to do that as well. Absolutely. Um, it's only it's only natural, and, and it's been a long time since I've been able to go out drinking for quite some time. Now, let's remember, I am much older than you, but um, you're hitting the nail in the head there. Because let's just hypothetically say, you know, your 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 pals, your friends are are saying, 
let's go out tonight, let's get absolutely blind drunk, which is great, don't get me wrong, but how you need to start your next day is not with a hangover. Um, it's, it's just not. If you want to go out on a Saturday night and you want to party all night, that you do that. I have no issues with that at all. But Monday through to Friday, particularly when you're your own boss, if your day has to start at 5 a.m. and you're getting up with a stinking hangover and you just like the world is just you're just dead inside, it's just it's a one-way ticket to hell. It really is. Um, so yeah, that's that's my lecture. Don't go drinking during the week. Don't go drinking <laughs> on a still night. <laughs> Great tip there. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah. So um, you said to us before that you've. Um, sourced and secured in excess of 20 properties in two years um so obviously that's a really good amount um but i assume it it wasn't um like that straight away so how long did it actually take you to um get that first deal over the line okay well ironically um and and this this will probably shock you somewhat in that I think I got lucky uh, when I started out with my first deal. Um, it took me about two months to get the first deal across the line. Um, that's not the average. Um, the, the average is actually in and around six months to get your first deal over the line. If you do it sooner than that, fantastic. That's brilliant. Um, I think I just, I kind of, I guess I got a bit lucky on that first deal. Um, but I also know that during that two month period, I was completely flat out. I was making connections. I was networking. I was talking to people. I was speaking to estate agents, letting agents, contacting everybody within my sphere of influence, telling them what I was doing. Um, I wasn't half hearted with this guys. I was balls to the walls. Like I, I had to make this work. Um, so was it a mixture of luck and was it a mixture of hard work? It was probably a healthy mix of both. Um, but everything that followed from there on was absolutely hard work for sure. Um, so yeah, two months, but I, I want anybody listening to this today, not to feel, holy shit, you know, I've been at this four months and I haven't got anything. The average deal for those starting out in sourcing is six months. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. So I think like you said, you were working really hard, um, to get that deal anyway but yeah. i think yeah it's just the numbers game um yeah. so if you aren't getting that deal just keep keep viewing keep putting more offers in um and yeah i think everyone will get their first deal eventually so yeah the thing is so many people throw the towel in because they're like oh i got 10 viewings and i haven't got any deals what sometimes it takes you 50 viewings before you get the deal sometimes you do 30 you know, who's to say that, you know, you do 25 viewings and you're about to throw the towel in, but who's to say that viewing number 26 wasn't your deal? That's, you know, I, I speak to so many newcomers and they're like, look, I've done 15 viewings now. I'm not getting anywhere. And I'm like, really? Come back to me when you've done 40 and when then maybe we'll talk. Um, so you're 100% right, Harley. It is a numbers game um, and you just keep on going because you will get that one deal. And what I've found, certainly from my experience and those who are within my peer group, once you get that first deal, you've built that momentum up, it's pretty hard to stop it then. And then you get the next and the next and the next, and you fill your pipeline up. Um, so yeah, 
don't be disheartened by, by anyone listening to this by thinking and don't listen to these outrageous training courses that tell you that you will get your first aid within four weeks. It doesn't happen um, unless, again, you find that leprechaun. Um, keep plugging. It's a numbers game. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so on that topic then, um, how many... So when you were sort of getting into it and you were... So on average, how many properties were you secure in a month and how many viewings would you say you were doing and then how many offers were you putting in off of those viewings okay so i mean once i kind of found my feet it was roughly in around the region of maybe a deal and a half a month if you kind of calculate it out in that respect um and on top of that then i was project managing the refurbs of these properties um, and further to that i was then rent to renting um these properties that I was sourcing, refurbing, I was then taking them on, doing them as on a rent to rent basis with the investor. That then transpired into serviced accommodation. And um, so it was a total snowball effect. And um, viewings wise, I mean, bearing in mind that in the early days I was still working, um, but I was filling my weekends with viewings, just however many I could get at the weekend, that's what I was doing. If I could get five, I was doing five. If I, if I could get 10, I would do 10. Um, keep a database of all my viewings, uh, make offers on most of them, if I'm honest. Um, I was making offers on most of them. And even though I maybe knew initially that they wouldn't get accepted, um, I could always store them in my my, C, my very fancy CRM, which was an Excel spreadsheet, um, you know, and follow up in four weeks' time. Um, so yeah, averaged out maybe just slightly over a deal a month, deal and a half a month um, over maybe more than that actually it was it was maybe two a month um over that period of time along with the refurbs and so on yeah definitely um yeah and then with like actually finding the deals and sourcing them um you mentioned to us that you usually go through estate agents so did yeah. you um look on right move for the deals or did you just ring the agents and um, go direct to them okay so the early days and still today i mean I, I i source less these days because i'm building my own portfolio um but so i effectively i'm sourcing for myself um with joint venture finance but um when i was in the early days of my sourcing i spent hours um on our local so in northern ireland we don't have right move we use property pal um and i spent hours on that daily flicking through um more so to learn my patch, okay? So to, to figure out the styles of property in my gold mine area, to, to ascertain what walk-in value looked at looked like, to ascertain what distressed value looked like. Um, but if I'm really honest, and, and this is something I'm known for, I started building relationships with um, agents very, very early on. Um, you know, I started to, you know, just build that rapport keep the channels open and if I'm even more honest than that it it really paid dividends to me over the last two years because once the initial relationship was established and once I got one deal over the line um I became top of their phone call list anytime an off-market property became available anytime they got wind of a landlord looking to sell up um I became the go-to person in my area so I'm a massive advocate for building relationships. I'm not saying that direct a vendor 
shouldn't be used. I've used it four times in the last two years. Um, but my, my focus always was and always will be on relationships with, with estate agents. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I think direct to vendors, you can find really good deals there, but it is yeah. harder to find the deals. So it's important to build those relationships with agents as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, direct to vendor is, is great. You do get the best discounts most often like that. Um, so I can see the appeal. However, it is a much more painstaking process. It is a much more time intensive process. Um, and the rewards and the conversion rates are much less. So having done both, um, I prefer, it's not for everyone. I'm not looking for people to agree with me. This is just my personal opinion. I prefer to build relationships um, with the agents in the area and do business that way because it's win-win. Everybody wins in that respect. Yeah, exactly. So for those who are potentially looking at building up those relationships and ringing estate agents for the first time, mm -hmm. what um, would you say to them on the phone and how would you structure it essentially? Yeah, I try not to make it too corporate. I mean, I've come from that background and the more corporate you make it, the more sort of um, back, you get their back up quite a bit. Um, I've often found it takes a little bit of time to warm estate agents up. Um, so certainly do I make that initial phone call? Yes. Explain to them, listen, um, I am investing in the area. You don't always from the offset have to tell them that you're sourcing because um, effectively you are purchasing on behalf of an investor. So whether that investor is you or whether it's me or whether it's one of your friends, it doesn't matter. So I always introduce it as I'm an investor. I'm actively seeking properties in the area. I give them an idea of my criteria and ask, look, would you have anything at the moment that would suit me? I'll then follow up by calling into the office regularly. So I mean, any excuse I can get to drop into my local estate agents where they know me now, but in the early days, I would just be calling past, you know, oh, look, I'm in the area, um, drop in with a coffee. How, how are you? What have you got this week? You know, have you got anything that I could maybe view? So it's constantly about building the relationships, staying at the forefront of their mind, um, being, you know, that person they think of when something new lands in their desk, like, oh, Danielle was in last week. Maybe we'll give her a call. This might suit her. Okay, so a lot of people get hung up at the start and say, but what? What do I tell them? Do I tell them I'm a sorcerer? Look, tell them you're investing because that's not a lie. Okay, so whether you're investing with someone else or on behalf of someone else, you're still investing. And the easiest way to get in the door and to get their attention is to tell them that you are currently looking to invest in the area. Do they have anything that might fit your criteria? That's the easiest way to do it. Yeah, exactly. Because I think... Um... I think the wording of it is the main thing because yeah. if you say you're a property investor, I feel like that's what's taught on a lot of courses. So yeah. they probably disregard that. Yeah. But then a lot of them have probably had bad experiences with sources. So if you say that from the outset, a lot of them will probably just say they don't want to work with you. So if you just say that you're um, investing in the area, that way it's yeah. just a lot more straightforward, I guess. Well, that's the thing. And unfortunately, because of a lot of these um, training courses, and I mean, there's none specifically that I'm referring to. It's just there, are, there seems to be a, 
a broad sweep of them across the board. And I mean, I've done a lot of training courses. I mean, I want to put that out there. I have educated myself on training courses and some are better than others. But as a result of the hype, um, property sourcers almost have a bad name. And we really have to work really hard. The, the serious ones have to be very diligent to turn that negative connotation around because you're right that a lot of the state agents do hear the word property sourcer and they go, oh, Christ, no, not another one. They're not interested. So I think it's all about your approach and just basically saying, look, I'm interested in buying in the area. This is kind of what I'm looking for. This is kind of my budget. Have you got anything that, that we could maybe have a look at? Could we, could we arrange a viewing? And then regularly calling in so that Harley and Guy become regular faces in your patch um, so that once you've built those initial relations if something comes in that does fit your criteria you'll be one of the first they call and that's how you want to position yourself yeah exactly um yeah so with the um with like calling in and keeping that contact up it's a it's a fine line between obviously annoying the agent and um showing that you're eager so how would you try and balance this so that you don't annoy the agent yeah it's a fairly good question i probably did annoy them to be honest <laughs> so i probably did and maybe i'm not the best person to ask that question too um but yes you're right there is a fine line i mean you don't want to be getting arrested for like stalking anytime soon um so certainly i feel that whether it's you can do it in different forms so you know you can make an, an initial phone call you know, the following week you could maybe drop in you know the week after that you could maybe send an email and then start the cycle back over again so that's two or three points of contact within the month i don't think that's excessive i really don't um excessive would be you know five six seven times every day um but you absolutely need to keep your finger on the pulse they need to know who you are you know you don't want to be the best kept best kept secret in is it northampton you guys are in yeah, yeah, and Leicester, yeah. Yeah, so you don't want to be the best kept secret. And Leicester, are you in lockdown again? Yeah, lockdown for two more weeks. Well, I'm just outside of Leicester, you see, so, but... Ah, yeah, uh, okay. Yeah, okay. So. Nightmare. Nightmare. Well, didn't mean to go off tangent there, but I mean, <laughs> Leicester, is, Leicester is in the news at the moment. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a balance, Harley, and you're right to ask that question. Um, I, I, the approach that I take is, you know, I can never be visible enough. I want to be everywhere. Um, so keep it in a cycle, a call once a week, and e a follow-up email and call in. That's three points of contact in a month, and I think that's more than acceptable. Yeah, okay, awesome. Um, yeah, look, it is just, I guess it all depends on the relationship you have with the agent as well. So some you'll probably call a lot more than others. Oh, yeah. um, and then, yeah. And then there will be ones that will just never call you back. And that's fine. Look, we get on with that. Um, there's more than enough agents in the cities to deal with. Some of them will, will warm to you over time and some of them will just be a-holes. But that's okay. Um, we move on. It doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the ones that maybe you don't get on with as much, um, would, you, would you just keep ringing them and keep persisting or would you just no no speaking from personal experience i've walked away 
Um, it's not worth my time. It's not worth my effort. Um, if I can't bring them around to seeing what it is that I'm trying to do, if I can't bring them around to the fact that they could benefit from this, if they're completely ignorant to it, and that's okay because if you don't have the education and the knowledge, it's, it can be hard to get your head around. Um, but I would rather save my time and my energy for those that get it and work with them rather than waste my time with others who I'm trying to persuade to get it. Um, it doesn't it doesn't make sense for me to, to put my, my efforts into those channels. Work with the people that, that want to work with you and it'll be a much more fruitful relationship. Yeah, exactly. And I think, obviously, if you can put more time into the people that are bringing you deals, then you're yeah. just going to get way more success than if you... And you'd probably have to put more time into people that aren't bringing you deals. Exactly. Um, so yeah, it's just a lot better to obviously focus on the people who you do get on with. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, awesome. I was going to say, um, I can completely understand where you're coming from with um, how you word things with um, estate agents. Because uh, when I first started a couple of months ago, I was saying that I was asking for information in the area, I'm a sourcer, mm. and the response rate was very low whereas mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago i just say yeah i'm actively looking for properties in the area for around 80 to 200 and the response was so yeah. much better. so many more mailing lists so it was so important so yeah oh it totally is guy you're 100 percent right it's all about perception it's all about how you word it and um, it's all about how you present yourself remember this an estate agent does not ever want you to make him feel like you're more intelligent than him if they feel that you know more about property in their area than they do, you're going to piss them off, speaking from experience, okay? I've, I've rattled cages doing that. Um, I'm not saying dumb it down by any stretch of the imagination, but I certainly wouldn't go in throwing out, you know, uh, lingo like gross shields and ROIs and ROCEs to estate agents, because nine times out of 10, most of them don't, don't know it. Um, but it will also get their back up uh, and they are less inclined to call you back. I, that's speaking from fact. Um, so it is absolutely, you're a hundred percent right. All about how you word it to get around those tricky ones. Yeah, definitely. I definitely think there's a fine line as well. So like you don't want to go in there claiming you're an expert and no. you know more than those, but equally you don't want to go in there sounding like you know nothing, if that makes sense. So you can work with the agent well. Yeah. So. Yeah. absolutely 100 percent. and then um on the goings of viewings then so say for example you're looking at sourcing flips and buy refer finance deals mm -hmm. before you to say you see a property on like property pal or right move whatever would you um go to the viewing first and then crunch the numbers so say the viewing or say the property on right move and property pal you know it has potential like you know it could have um some refurb then would you crunch num the numbers beforehand or would you go to the viewing first and then see where you can go from there okay i think er very much my early days i would went to the viewing anyway purely for experience um and it was hard to know in the earlier days you know i, I couldn't really tot up a refurb through a desktop valuation you know i needed to be physically on site to, to get a feel for that um so in the early days, I would have gone to the viewings and then come home and crunch the numbers. Um, now I'm probably much more confident where I can immediately eliminate um, what will work and what won't work because I know my patch well enough because I can do a quick refurb calculation in my head. Okay, it'll be a desktop valuation. Um, 
but I can still do that. I'm much more confident now at eliminating the good from the bad. But in the early days, for anybody starting out, I encourage you to attend as many viewings as you possibly can because the learning is in the doing because you will learn how to cost up refurbs. The more viewings that you attend, you will spot you know, the rising damp. You will spot the, you know, the, the, the electrical box that needs upgraded, all these types of things. Um, but you'll only get to do that with practice. Um, so my advice in the early days as you're starting out is attend the viewings. Now, if, you're, if you know that your budget is 100K, don't go and view houses at 250,000 pounds because they're not going to come down to that level. Okay, so you have to be very mindful of what it is that you're doing. Um, but if a, if a property falls within my criteria, I'll view it first, come home, do the numbers. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then to say, for example, if a property was in your like price criteria, but maybe the asking price was a bit too much, would you still go to view the property and then potentially negotiate it down a bit so it's stacked with your numbers? Yeah, I mean, if it was, you have to look at it again. What can you do with it? I mean, if I'm looking at a property and it's outside my asking price, then I have to ask myself, why? Is it because it's in really good condition? If it is, the chances are that I can't get that property and add value to it um, to pull my money back out. Um, but it's always worth going to have the viewing because you, know, you don't know what the vendor's motivation is. You don't know how, how um, quickly they're looking to sell. You don't know at this stage, certainly in Property Pal, how, maybe how long the property's been on the market. Um, you don't know what offers have been made, what offers are being considered. So it's still worth your while viewing the properties, if nothing else for experience, but to get that initial information. Because while you may not offer on it now, in six weeks time, you might. And they might be more open to, to accepting a lower offer in six weeks time than they are today. Yeah, 100%. I couldn't agree more. That's really important to just understand what's going on, really. Well, it's all about also, Guy, I'm a big advocate for filling your pipeline. Okay, so um, while, again, while they may not be open to, let's say it's a 65k house and, you know, you really need it for about 54, um, they might not be open to that today and that's fine. You can walk away, you can put it in your CRM, you can make your notes, you can take your pictures and you can diarize in four weeks. Is it still on? Let's talk again. You know, go back for a second viewing. Let's have a conversation. Um, keep the pipeline full yeah definitely i feel like when there's properties with potential but it doesn't really meet your criteria you should always just keep them in just in case if absolutely don't go off yeah so um on the topic of in investors now then mm -hmm. how would you a grow your list and be in like times like this where the market's a bit uncertain and it could potentially be a bit harder to um get deals how would you entertain your investors when not many deals are coming through if that makes sense yeah, that's a pretty good question. So in terms of growing a list, I'm putting it out there now. I don't do lists. I don't do investor lists. Um, I'm not a fan um, of people being told that they have to have 50, 60, 100 people on an investor mailing list. I'm, I don't buy into it. Um, in the last two years, I have worked with no more than four or five investors. And at this present moment in time, I work with three, the same three investors. Um, that I now joint venture with, but I started sourcing for. Um, now, that's the, if, you, if you have three solid, good investors, you've got a good sourcing business. There's just no two ways about it. Um, so how do I go about meeting them? I met them at networking events. Um, I now obviously co-host my own networking event here in Belfast. So that's a pretty good way to meet investors. 
um, but networking and sphere of influence. So I am a massive advocate for tapping into your own contact base, your own, you know, your parents, family, friends, tell everybody what you do, literally everybody. And the third and final fast track to success in terms of getting investors is social media. Absolutely. So over lockdown, I've actually raised um, just shy of half a million pounds in joint venture finance, all through social media, all of it. And we have never met in person, ever. And we have met, as you and I are now, via Zoom. But my point in telling you that is that if you haven't got on board with the fact that social media will fast track your property success, you absolutely have to get it. I think you guys, to be fair, have got it pretty much down. I see you are littering Instagram at the moment. You've got a great following. But there are many people out there who are so reluctant to utilize social media. Um, and it's the number one way, and it's free, you know, it's free to put yourself out there to build a following and to attract investors. Yeah, um, sorry, sorry you asked me a question of how I would entertain them in this, in this current market. I think you have to be very open and honest. Um, you know, if you rush out and knee-jerk buy something now on behalf of your investor, you're just not serving them well enough. But I certainly would be touching base with them quite regularly and saying, look, here's the current state of play. Here are the properties that are currently on the market. But I don't know what it's like in your area, guys, but here at the moment, properties are flying off the shelves. Yeah. So we have this pent up demand. People have been waiting for lockdown to lift and everybody can go out. So I'm seeing properties in my gold mine area sold within 24 hours for above asking price. That's not sustainable. Okay. Um, and there is a blip and a bump coming. So I'm, I'm conveying this to my investors and I'm letting them know, look, I'm keeping my ear to the ground. I'm actively um, keeping myself immersed in the market. And when the time is right, we'll pull the trigger. But now is not the right time. Unless it's a really good deal. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like, like you were saying at the start, where you've only got four, three solid investors. If you was to have like a, a mailing list with 100 plus, um, they would probably get more annoyed that they weren't getting anything. Exactly. Whereas now, whereas now that you've got three firm investors, they know what you, you can do. They, they, they trust you, essentially. So they're just waiting for that moment. So... Yeah, I, I, um, when I was sourcing, and again, anybody that I mentor privately or any of the guys that are in within the property sourcing made simple um, platform, I'm a massive advocate for you find your investor first and then you source bespoke to them. Finding deals with no investor is a one-way road to Armageddon. Um, you, you will source a deal, you don't have any investor, uh, you'll piss off the agent if, if you have to pull out, you'll piss off the vendor if you have to pull out, um, what makes a good deal to me may not make a good deal to someone else. So you never really know what an investor is looking for. So my advice to everybody is, and always will be, find your investor first, figure out what they want and go shopping for it. It's, it's, it is, it's like going shopping effectively with a, a really good shopping list, much more expensive shopping list, of course. Yeah, definitely. I feel like with the bespoke as well, it's, just makes it a lot easier for you as well. Whereas if you're going out and searching for property deals, maybe you've got a high expectation of you're looking for 20, 25% return on investment. Yeah. Whereas if you've got a, if you've got investors that just want like 15%, then you can really just negotiate and work, work from there really. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You're hundred yeah. percent right. And then 
when it comes to actually finding, because I think a lot of people would want to have these firm investors where they can just go to in and out. Um, when it comes to actually finding these firm investors, where would you go about finding them? How would you go about building rapport? Okay, so I'll give you um, an example of one of my very first ever investors who is now um, not only an investor, but I call him a friend. We have um, joint ventures together and several things. Um, I met him at a networking event. Um, I think it's very important that you, you know, there has to be some sort of initial um, interest, um, but I made it my business to, to get to know him, to figure out exactly what I was looking for. Now, what I am a massive advocate of as well is when you do meet with someone, you know, grab a coffee. I mean, the price of a coffee is what, what, three pound? Go get a coffee with someone, sit and talk to them. You know, don't make it like an interview, just build some rapport. But there are set questions that I teach the guys to ask um, throughout the course of the conversation. Doesn't have to be interview style. I like it to be conversational, but there are questions you need to ask to figure out, is this a serious investor or is this a tire kicker? Um, you know, those questions range from, you know, where exactly are you looking to invest? If, if an investor says anywhere, that's a red flag to me. Anybody that says anywhere will likely never invest anywhere. Okay. Do you see what I mean? If they say, oh, anywhere, it's likely going to be nowhere. Um, you're going to want to ask them questions like, what does a great investment look like to you? Because you want to get down to the real nitty gritty, you know, what they expect cash flow each month. What type of capital appreciation they look are they looking for? What type of return on their investment are they looking for? A serious investor can give you all that information. A novice investor cannot. And if you can then follow these conversations up via email um, and get your proof of funds in, then you know you've got a serious investor on board. Anybody else that's dragging their heels, I generally tend to just cut the wire and move on. Sounds cutthroat, but it's a business. Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, especially with investors and sourcing, like if you, it's your reputation on the line, so you don't want to yeah. be embarrassed if you find a deal and then you think you have investors who are going to buy it. Um, but in reality, they're not actually interested. Um, then you have to let either the agent or the vendor down and uh, no one really wants to do that. So yeah, I think it's so important to, build up a good relationship and have investors that you can actually um, rely on, um, I guess. Completely. Yeah. Uh, completely. I mean, the, the, the investors that I work with now don't even go in, they don't feed the house. It's just, I send them through the details. We'll have a conversation and we pull the trigger. Um, and that's the way I like to work. Uh, it's just easy. If you get people being like, Oh, I don't like the color of the door. So, you know, and it's the color of the door will not affect your cash flow every month. The color of the door will not affect your capital appreciation. Do you like it or do you not like it? Tire kickers, you will always get them. Time wasters will always be out there, but it's about refining your skills and your ability to cut them off pretty quickly. Um, because you are right in what you say, Harley, it is a business and we have to treat it like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, um, so say if you had like, three to five investors that you worked with exclusively and you didn't really want to grow that but you had people approaching you how would you word it to them that you can't take them on yeah i mean that's a pretty delicate set of circumstances i'll always always say look right now i'm just not on the market for new investors and um, i suppose i'm lucky in the fact that 
through my networking event and through my private mentorship that I do have um, a plethora of other sourcers without, throughout Northern Ireland and um, UK mainland. So I can always kind of help people find what they're looking for through my own contact base. Um, that being said, I, I am a firm believer that you should never turn away opportunity. So it would always be an idea look, to keep these new investors, these new people who have shown you interest in you sourcing for them, um, keep them in mind, follow up with them, you know, within, let's say, two months. Explain, look, um, are you still actively searching for properties? You know, my, my books are currently still full, but I would love to work with you in the near future. You know, here's a little snapshot of, of, of my monthly newsletter. Keep the channels of communication open. Um, find out exactly what they're looking for. And if you can actively pass the business to another viable, credible um, legal sourcer that absolutely because you there's a there's an option there for you to split fees essentially and um, while you bring the investor they bring the deal um, and it's another stream of income which I'm a massive advocate for multiple streams of income so say yes to every, every opportunity and then figure it out as you go yeah exactly um, yeah so if somebody was just starting in sourcing um, and they wanted to offer like a bespoke service and a hands-off service for their investors. Um, what are the key things that they should be focusing on? It absolutely has to be relationship building. It has to be. They also need to be focusing on putting themselves out there on social media, telling their story. So a lot of newcomers to property sourcing and deal packaging often say to me, I've got nothing to say. Well, actually, that's not true. You've got everything to say. Blog your journey from the start. You know, people, property is a people, not only is a numbers game, it's a people's game. Okay, it's a people's business. People buy people, no like trust. Okay, you've heard that, I'm said, sure, a thousand times. So you should be focusing on providing a bespoke service for investors by letting the investors see who you are, giving them an indication of what you do on the day-to-day, -day, what your backstory is, where you've come from, what you're trying to achieve it is the only way it's the only way i and my firm opinion in order to onboard and trigger investor interest and once you have that initial interest shown once they've made that initial contact then the onus is on you to develop that relationship so focus on building your own social media presence focus on building on making yourself visible and the rest will follow yeah exactly and i think social media is so key because um if you can like bring your personality forward in that and people can connect with you it just um it allows them allows you to build up that trust a lot quicker um and i guess sort of cuts out a lot of the initial touch points of actually getting to know um each other because they can get to know you through just watching your videos, I guess. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I reiterate the point again that within the last, during a, during a global pandemic, I've raised half a million pounds in finance. That, that's a, we're in lockdown. The whole world has been in lockdown. Um, so my point being, it's possible that you show up every single day. I don't care if you're tired. I don't care if you, you know, you've nothing to say. I don't care if like the Game of Thrones rerun is on. Make sure you post religiously every single day. I promise you, over time, 
it compound effect it will bear fruit 100 percent. yeah exactly i think yeah it's just um being consistent is so key because like you said you may not be getting results now but then it is the compound effect it will um like you will see the results over time so yeah um yeah so you mentioned that you've got your um new platform property sourcing made simple yeah yeah so um could you just talk us through what that is and what it's going to be love to talk you through that okay so i've been very excited look um I have been working very hard behind the scenes to get this thing off the ground. Um, there are bags under my eyes for a very valid reason, because um, it's been manic for the last for the last while on top of moving house. So, um, property sourcing made simple. It will be launching in July. It will be property sourcing made simple. Uh, and within that site, Harley and Guy, I am creating a members only area. Okay, now it's a members only area with a huge, huge difference to. I've felt it's time to change the landscape on what is offered out there in terms of education and training, particularly within the property sourcing field. Um, Too many people are being sold the dream without any real substance on what it takes to get this done. Um, On top of that, uh, mentorship is something that not everybody has the luxury to be able to afford. And I understand that. I have been very lucky to be, have been mentored in my journey. I am very lucky to still be mentored in a, by a business and life coach. Um, I'm very privileged to mentor a phenomenal group of people, but I am also aware, as you guys will be aware, mentorship comes at a heavy price, okay? But I don't believe that your background or your bank balance should dictate your ability to be able to progress in property. So what I'm doing within this platform is I'm creating an accountability pod, which effectively will buddy up every member. So one member will be buddied with the other and you will act as each other's accountability success pals. Okay. You will um, give each other key action points. We will put out the things that you need to do. We will set action lists um, and we will meet then once a month with inside the member circle. And we'll basically roast you if you haven't done what you said you were going to do, or we'll applaud you if you've done all the things that you said you were going to do. So effectively it's a very different style of mentorship. Um, but it is accessible to everyone. You know, it's, it's something I'm very passionate about. There are too many people out there who are being taken for a ride with these two day, six grand courses. And I would really like to change the landscape on it um, and give everybody a shot. It's a no bullshit approach. So if you listen to my webinars over the last four months or you've read my content, um, I don't pull any punches. It's straight down the line. It's black and it's white. Um, it's hard work, but we can do it. So effectively, in a nutshell, property sourcing made simple. Super excited for it. Super excited. Yeah, definitely. It sounds awesome. And like you said, it's just a lot di- different to the typical sort of mentorship or training. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it will be a lot more engaging. So yeah, um, definitely a good idea. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you. I, I am very, very um, hopeful for it. So the wait we have, um, we opened it on Monday and we have a, a waiting list already. So um, it's all systems go right now. Awesome. Awesome stuff. So yeah, um, moving towards the end of the interview then. Sure. 
if you could go back and give your younger self um, or yourself before you got into property three top tips, what would they be? Ooh, three top tips. Uh, get financially smart. I did not do that. Um, when I came out of university, I was in a serious amount of debt. Um, I did not understand credit cards. And it wasn't really for want of um, my parents not trying to instill that on me. I just, I was 18 and I didn't give, I didn't care. Um, so I came out of university with, astro well, it wasn't astronomical debt, but to an 18 year old it was across multiple credit cards. Um, so I would absolutely advocate getting financially smart. Um, second top tip is be yourself. Um, I spent much too long trying to please others. Um, I spent far too long putting money in other people's pockets um, and actually missed, I should, be, I should be at least five years ahead of where I'm at right now because I didn't be me. Um, so do you essentially, do what you've got to do, do what makes you happy. And third top tip, whatever you do, do it with consistency. So whatever your path you choose to do, whether it's property, whether it's some form of business, entrepreneurship, whether it's relationships, whether it's fitness, do everything that you set out to do with consistency and you will bear rewards over time. Those are my three top tips. Amazing. Yeah, I think they're three tips that are like really fundamental um, for success. So yeah, very good tips there. Um, and then finally, is there any special mentions that you want to give? No, um, I mean, I, I, am I allowed to, to ask people to, can I put in my, my Instagram handle? Can I say yeah, um, yeah, we'll link it in the show yeah. notes anyway. So. Okay, so show notes, <coughs> but, uh, you can get me on Instagram at IamHungryMummy. Um, Facebook is also IamHungryMummy, um, or my personal Facebook of Danielle Bell, and property sourcing, madesimple.co.uk is launching this July. So anybody who's interested in getting in on that game, shoot me a DM, shoot me a message, and we will add you to the waiting list. Amazing. Um, yeah, well, it's been brilliant to have you on, Danielle. Um, we've Thank really so enjoyed it. And um, you've given some great tips and just uh, spoken the truth and being really honest, okay. which um, I think that's what we need more of in the property industry wow. so yeah it's been um brilliant to have you on danielle thank you well guys what an amazing episode we hope you all enjoyed and took away some great tips from danielle please remember to leave a review on wherever you're listening thank you again guys and we'll see you next week